You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 52 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. This is the show for January 2018, and I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Another solo show this month, and I'm going to try something I haven't quite done before. So up until now, the solo episodes I've recorded have been very much in the realm of the factual, the knowable, the objective, shall we say. Um, I have steered away from being philosophical or giving my opinion uh, until now. Um, so this episode is is I'm I'm channeling my inner Antonio Rosario here. Basically, Antonio often does these amazing shows on the Switch to Manual podcast where he gives his inner thoughts about a topic and. It, in well, I don't know whether it's unscripted or not, but yeah, I don't know how Antonio prepares. Basically, it comes across as very free flowing, and I figure. I've been inspired by listening to some other podcasts to think about some photography-related questions, and I'm just going to share my thoughts on the hope that they get you thinking too. Uh, And I think this is kind of an appropriate thing to do on a January show because it's the start of a year, and I know know, when we decide to start our years is completely arbitrary. Uh, but given that most of us live in a Western world and January 1st is considered the start of the year, it's, it is sort of a time for reflection and for thinking. And so just a few topics that have come up in two photography podcasts in particular, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac and Street Shots with Antonio, have sort of got me thinking the last few weeks. And I'm just going to go through the topics one by one, I guess. Um, so the first thing... I want to talk about was raised on episode 176 of Shorter Time with Sid and Mac. And uh, the title of that show is Our Artistic Calling. And the question that Sid and Mac asked their audience, of which I'm obviously a member, is basically, do you have a calling for photography? I mean, you know, we talk about callings generally in, in a religious sense. You know, you would have a calling to the priesthood or whatever. So, do we have a calling to photography? And I, well, obviously there's going to be different people going to have a different answer. So, I thought about it and I was like, well, do I have a calling for photography? And I actually think the answer is no. No, I don't photograph because I feel called to photograph. I photograph because I feel called to share my passion about things. And photography is one of the ways I have found that I can do that in a way that I am happy with, in a way that I feel I am up to the job. I know when I was younger, I would try to draw and sketch, and it turns out I'm no good at that. I've also tried to write short stories. It turns out I'm no good at that either. Um, But I can take a half-decent photograph. And so, you know, I feel very deeply about my photography and I am very inspired to take photographs. So there is a calling, but it's not really a calling to photography. Photography is just 
the way I've found that I can answer what is my real calling, which is sharing my passion about things. And that's why if you go back through my photography over the last decade, you'll see muses come and go. And what's happening is there are different things that I happen to be excited about and therefore different things that I'm sharing my excitement about. So I discovered or I got into, I'm not quite sure how how you best phrase that, but basically I became fascinated with the different species of butterfly that exist in Ireland. And so for a long time, one of my main subjects was macro shots of butterflies. Obviously not year-round, they don't exist year-round. Uh, but when they were around for about two years, I photographed an awful, awful, awful lot of butterflies. And as a sort of a side tangent from that, I ended up photographing a lot of wildflowers and also a lot of other insects. Um, and that sort of, I think, my interest in butterflies then morphed into an interest in dragonflies and damselflies, which then took up a lot of my photography stream because, well, when you're waiting for a butterfly to flutter by... You know, you don't control it right in nature. They come when they feel like it. And when you're wandering around a canal waiting for butterflies, you will see a lot of damselflies, dragonflies, and uh, chasers, basically other sort of related large insects. And, you know, I had my my big... um, I did all my macros, actually, with a a zoom lens, a a telephoto lens that focuses in close. Um, And so I had the appropriate lens with me, and a damselfly would land. Well, I'll take a picture of the damselfly. Or a four-spotted chaser, well, I'll take a picture of that. Or, you know, one of the other dragonflies, I'll take a picture of that. And so, you know, that that kept me going for a long time. Then another another thing I became interested in is local... Or no, not became interested in. Another muse that I think is sort of permanently there, but it sort of comes and goes, is local history. Um, I... I like to know about where I live. I like to know about the history of where I live. So for a while, you would have seen sort of some more landscape shots and stuff. Rathcoffey Castle and things like that. Um, Carton House, Castletown House. And that's because I was reading about the people who over the centuries made the Maynooth area of County Kildare and its surrounding towns and villages what they are today. And so my photography reflected the fact that that was on my mind. That's what I was thinking about. Um, and another muse that's, that's, I think, no, actually, the, probably the most ever-present muse is my absolute love of railways and all things railways. So they are just always there. Um, a muse that's come by more recently is an interest in aviation, which came about in a very weird accidental way. Um, I Someone linked to a blog post by a guy who wrote a book and he he came to aviation later in life having done another career first and he just shares his passion about flying and it, it i mean the thing it's a book it's a full length book but it reads more like prose than like um like anything else it's almost a poem to flying and he completely caught my imagination um, so someone linked to an excerpt from his book and that, that sort of got me going and then in particular he he mentioned the fact that you have a variant of English for aviation, sort of aviationese almost, and it's a subset of the English language with some you know, 
differences to normal English. You could be fluent in aviation English and be completely unable to hold a conversation. And there was a lot of lingo and stuff. And at some point, it mentioned the fact that you can, anyone can go online and there's a website that has live uh, streaming of air traffic control towers. And Dublin Airport was listed and I tuned into Dublin Airport and that, you know, I started hearing all the various chatter and the various banter. Then I started looking up what the various call signs were and what the various technical terms mean. And before you know it, I was completely hooked on aviation. found myself going to the airport. And once I was at the airport, well, I'm me. So I, of course, started taking pictures. And so, hey, presto, a whole bunch of my stream became flooded. Well, flood is the wrong word, but, you know, suddenly it became an aviation feel to my photography. And it was simply because that's what I was passionate about. And so that's what I took pictures of. And one which you guys haven't seen yet, um, because it was very personal. But for pretty much the whole of 2016, I had a photographic project that I I chose it around about January time, and I spent the whole year working on it, and I have, I've shared it with family, and I haven't really shared it with anyone else. And it's not because I don't want to, it's not because it's in some way inappropriate to share, it's just... I haven't got round to it, and maybe it's because I haven't quite picked up the emotional energy, but basically, as 2015 was drawing to a close and 2016 was starting, it was sort of a rough, rough time in the family. Um, I went within a fairly short amount of time from having all four of my grandparents alive to having no grandfathers at all. And it was, look, you know, these things happen, life goes through these phases. When you get to the stage in life I'm at now, you go through, a f- you know, funerals are a thing. Um, it's, you know, it's just the way things are. And, it, you know, it, I won't say it depressed me, but it didn't make me feel particularly cheery. And uh, it just got me thinking about death, you know, as, as death will do. And... My project was monochrome shots of ancient graveyards. So not modern graveyards, but where I live, you know, Maynooth in in Kildare in Ireland, was once the centre of one of the main cults of Irish Christianity, um, the Brigadine cult, St. Bridget, the one that lost, in fact, to the much stronger St. Patrick's cult up north. Um... But it means that there is an abnormally large concentration of very old church sites here, dating back over a thousand years, many of them. And so there are a lot of churches and graveyards in various states of neglect, ruin, I guess. Although some of them actually are where the graveyard is still kept up to date and is still used as a modern burial ground, but the church that once stood there is now a ruin. Um, But basically, there's a lot of very, very old church history here. And I felt drawn to photographing those, those ancient places, those places that have had a spiritual meaning for a very, very long time. And they have... They have a feeling to them. It's like when you're standing somewhere where people have been thinking about the mysteries of life and death for 1600 years, 
that's that gives you a sense of time. I don't know, it touched me in a certain way anyway. Uh, maybe, as I said, I don't usually get this philosophical on air, but hey, here we go. Um, but it really, there's something about those places with so much history. I mean, I photographed in churchyards with, you know, five or you know four times as old as the United States of America. And I mean, it, it, it is such a different sense of time. And I wanted to to capture the feel of those places. So rather than trying individual photographs, I aimed very much, I shot with the intention of making collages. And I shot with the intention of converting to contrasty, gritty monochrome. Sort of, you know, strong monochrome images. Um, and collections of images for each place, not one picture says it all. And the final result of that was a calendar, which I make for my family every year. And, you know, much of my family, well, half of my family, uh, my father, actually, no, both halves of my family, because when you lose both grandfathers, it affects both sides of your family, so never mind, my family, we're all going through loss, and it just, I don't know, it seemed appropriate to go completely out of my comfort zone. So normally my photography is extremely colourful. I I like strong colours. I like, you know, blue skies, rich greens. I tend to like photography, which I would consider to be happy and optimistic. And I just, for 2016, did the opposite. I mean, it wasn't depressing, but it wasn't shiny happy. And it just, I don't know, it just seemed appropriate. So that's what I did. And so the end result of that year-long project was a calendar, which, you know, different members of the family hung that calendar for a year. And I sort of felt I'd got that out of my system. And I never quite got around to sharing those pictures on Flickr because they don't, they're not designed to be seen one by one. They're designed to be seen... In collections together, which is why they worked really well as a calendar, because they were always shot with the intention of being a collage, and so each page on the calendar had at least two, but often many more photographs, so five, seven, you know, many more photographs. And it just Flickr didn't seem right. So I'm not, it's not that I haven't shared them because I'm somehow I don't want to you know, post something which is a little more personal, because I don't mind, I don't, you know, all of my photography is about sharing what's on my mind, so why would this be any different? But it's just, I don't know, Flickr just wasn't quite the right place. So I still have that collection of images, and at some stage I will post them. I just have to figure out how to, to post them. But I so said that was a muse that was very, very different. But again, I wasn't called the photograph, it's just I wanted to share... And photography was my mechanism for sharing. So, anyway, that, you know. And as I'm going into this year, I'm now thinking, well, is there something I want to do for this year? And I think my project this year might be to see how much of my passions in photography I can fulfill just my iPhone. How how would that work? I mean, I'm not I'm not I am not 
right, I'm actively not deciding not to use any other camera. But I am deciding to make more use of my iPhone camera and to test its limits, you know. Try try it out, see what it'll do, see how it performs. And certainly, so far, I'm really quite impressed. Um, and so I think that's going to be sort of my thing for the year, is to only bring out the big guns for the kind of stuff that warrants it. So any sort of astrophotography is obviously the kind of stuff that warrants it, that you know, a camera phone isn't, isn't going to work for that, even a really good camera phone. But whenever it's, you know, plausible, I'm going to have a go at using the iPhone and seeing how I get on with it. So I think that's what I'm going to do for the year. So compared to, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, death and stark contrasty monochromes, it's, it's quite a different sort of project for the year. But I think, I think that's what I'll do this year. So I wonder, do you, you know, do you guys feel a calling to photography? Or is photography a tool that helps you deal with a different calling? So... You know, by all means, you know, use the feedback on the blog, use the Google Plus group. Um, you can drop me an email, podcasting at bartofficer.net. So podcasting, as you would expect it to be spelled, at bartofficer, B-A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R.net, or Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Indigo, Charlie, Indigo, Echo, Romeo, dot, November, Echo, Tango. Ooh, I need to I need to practice my phonetic alphabet. Anyway, if if you have any thoughts, I would actually quite like to hear them. And um, a big thanks to Sid and Mac for a very thought provoking podcast. They got me they got me thinking. Literally got me thinking quite a lot actually. Um, so there we go. The second thing I want to talk to you about is also from Shuttertime with Sid and Mac, and this is something they've they've mentioned on their previous two podcasts, but they particularly focused on it in their most recent one, which is episode 178, Photography Styles, Tripods, Bubbles, and The Godfather. Uh, the Tripods, The Bubbles, and The Godfather are not um, of interest to me today. What's interesting is the discussion Sid and Mac had on pho- photographic styles, as in the concept of developing a style that's uniquely yours and a lot of what they focused on was on the the potential dangers of fixating on developing a style and I kind of agree with that because I don't believe you should actively try to create a style for yourself that's like trying to shape your own personality I think that's the kind of thing that's doomed to failure. So my take on photographic styles is that they're not something that you should spend any effort whatsoever developing or any effort whatsoever choosing. Definitely don't choose your style. That's ridiculous. And you'll understand why I say that in a moment. Uh, Instead, I think the way to think about photographic style is that it's an emergent property. It falls out of you doing your photography. You don't control it. You don't steer it. It's the end result. You strive to take photographs that appeal to you. You strive 
to be true to yourself and that will result in a style that is you. So, you know, if you like a certain look, well then, you know, produce images you like and the look is secondary, but it will sort of develop into your style. And the thing to bear in mind is that it is true that we have photographic styles, but they don't have to confine us. It's perfectly fine to normally shoot cheery, happy, lots of strong, beefy colours, and then decide that a certain subject works so much better as a sepia tone, or works so much better with the colour, you know, rather than cranking up the saturation, pull it back intentionally fade the colours maybe or get rid of colour altogether or you know play around you know don't don't ever feel oh no I can't post this picture because it's not like me no take the pictures you want post the pictures you want and the average of the things you like will sort of become your style but the thing is it's not set in stone as you know as you go through your photographic existence your style will ebb and flow, and sometimes it'll change dramatically. And sometimes it'll change very slowly, and maybe some aspects of your style will be very, very constant over the decades that you produce photographs, and some things will be fleeting and will come and go. Um, I spent a lot of time being very into naturalistic HDRs, and sort of faded away over the last couple of years. I haven't really done much HDR work the last while. But with the exception of my graveyard series, which I haven't shared with you guys, most the thing that does seem constant in my photography is a love of strong, vibrant colours. So even though, you know, a lot of other things about my look have changed over the years, the fact that, you know, punchy colours are the thing I like, that seems to be constant, whereas other things come and go. Um, so, you know, look at your style as something which falls out. And if you want to... If you want to make sure that you have a style, don't focus on a, making a style. Focus on being honest and doing what you feel passionate about and producing images that you like, producing images that you feel proud of, that you feel that's what I want to say. Not, oh no, but this doesn't keep up with the style I'm trying to cultivate. Or we're still, this isn't going to get as many likes as something else, you know. Be honest, and your look, your style, will fall out. It is an emergent property of honest photography, in my opinion. And I just, I couldn't, I just can't say strongly enough, don't fixate on figuring out what your style is, don't fixate on trying to change it or alter it or develop it. Do what you enjoy, and people will almost certainly recognise your work as being yours, and in effect, they will recognise your style. But it falls out. It's it's emergent. It emerges from your work. So that's the the second of the the three topics I want to talk about, and the last topic is somewhat related. So switch to manual is a podcast I love, and you guys are obviously familiar with it because Antonio has been on this show many times over the years as it's morphed its you know way of doing things. And Antonio did a recent show under the heading Machine Nation. And Antonio pondered the concepts of 
algorithms in photography. And I hope I'm not mischaracterizing... Well, okay, my impression listening to Antonio was that on the whole, Antonio was quite negative and quite scared. And I thought it might be interesting... Well, my take on it isn't the same. It isn't as negative. Um, I can see the pitfalls. I can see the dangers. But it doesn't have to be that way, and I don't think it will be as, as dystopian as in a few points in the conversation, not in, in the discussion Antonio got. Uh, and there's also a factual correction I want to make. So, in particular, Antonio was inspired to talk about the topic because of news about AI, artificial intelligence, coming into photography. And unfortunately, I guess, as a non-computer scientist, Antonio conflated the concept of an algorithm with the concept of artificial intelligence. And the thing is, an algorithm is much, 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 much broader than artificial intelligence. And our cameras have had algorithms in them for as long as they have been digital at the very least. Because an algorithm is just a defined process. So our cameras, our digital cameras, do not take pictures. They have sensors which capture light, and then a set of rules are used to turn the readings from those sensors into photographs. That set of rules is an algorithm. So the problem is most certainly not with algorithms doing things, because without algorithms, nothing happens in a computer. Absolutely, positively nothing. Our cameras are full of algorithms and have been as long as they have been digital. And our digital software is full of algorithms. When you take a raw file and convert it to a JPEG, there is a process that is an algorithm. When you do an HTR, that's an algorithm. It's every, you know, a defined set of instructions that are followed, that is an algorithm. And so algorithms are everywhere. Algorithms are absolutely positively not a problem. In fact, algorithms are a solution. Without algorithms, you have nothing digital. So whenever, if you listen to the episode and you hear Antonio talking about the dangers of algorithms, what he means is the dangers of artificial intelligence, not the dangers of algorithms in a general sense. And this is the computer science graduate in me coming out, right? I I know I'm being highly pedantic here, and Antonio, please don't take it as an undue criticism. It's my area. It's what I do for a living. I'm an IT guy. I like to use the words properly. But, you know, so let's get the pedantry out of the way and now let's talk about the actually interesting part of the conversation, which is the artificial intelligence question. And so artificial intelligence, or I think a better word for it is machine learning, is a specific group of algorithms where what you teach, what you define for the computer is not the... the final process that will be used to create whatever it is you're creating. Instead, what you define is a mechanism by which the computer can create its own algorithm. So it's an algorithm for algorithm making. So machine learning is, I think, probably a better word than artificial intelligence. And with machine learning, you you can think of it as... You can think most machine learning algorithms are evolutionary. Um, they they are honed over time and they are trained 
and everything that's tried that is worse than other stuff that's tried goes away and everything that's tried that's better than what's been tried before is preserved and so it it's very much like evolution that way so what it really boils down to what really makes artificial in, or machine learning work is that in order for it to judge whether one set of in, you know one set of rules is better or worse than another set of rules is that it has to have some sort of metric to define quality right you have to have a measure of quality for machine learning to be possible i mean how does it know which is better than which if you don't define a scale of goodness, a scale of quality. And that is where you make or break your machine learning in your definition of what it is that is to be maximized. So the machine learning algorithms will strive to maximize a measurable thing. They're about maximization of some defined thing. And how well or how poorly you define that thing will result in what it is that the machine learning does. So an example of the sort of dystopian style of machine learning that um, concerned Antonio and that I would agree with as a concern would be if we started having algorithms that automatically process images or even were still automatically tell us how to compose images or whatever and that the measure of quality was likes on Facebook. What that would do is it would drive everyone's photography towards the average of every photographer. And that would just take all individuality and all fun out of it. And so as a metric used for machine learning, that would produce algorithm that would that uh, that that would produce algorithms that are horrible, right? That would just utterly take the uniqueness, the interestingness out of photography. So Antonio described that as a dystopian sort of future, and I would agree that that would indeed be dystopian. But the problem there isn't that it's machine learning. The problem there isn't that it's an algorithm. The problem there is that the metric of quality is a terrible, terrible metric of quality. And so it really does boil down to doing a better job of choosing what to maximize. So how could you do a better job? Well, thinking about it, one thing would be you would ask the person for whom this particular instance of the software is working to rate photographs. I like this. I don't like this. I like this a lot. This is okay. If you train your AI on your taste, then what you're doing is you're teaching the AI to make pictures the way you like. And now it's become a tool. So you're still in control, but you're just saving yourself an awful lot of time and effort by teaching the computer what it is that you like and dislike, and then letting the computer go off and do the number crunching on your behalf. And you can argue it's lazy, and you can argue that it it, it does close off some avenues of creativity, because it does, right? Accidentally doing something can be extremely inspiring. So 
the power of the accident should never be underestimated. You know, you're trying to achieve some sort of luck or something and it's not going well and you're you're messing about with the sliders. You may accidentally do something that you go, oh, wow, I wasn't trying to do that, but that is really cool. That works really well. That really speaks to me. And those accidental discoveries don't really work if you've trained an AI to do everything for you. So, but that doesn't mean there is no place for an AI. There, there's other places for an AI where, like, I mean, another dystopian view that Antonio sort of feared, and again, rightly so, would be a situation where the camera wouldn't fire the shutter until your photograph met some sort of quality metric. And that's some sort of a a horrible dystopian world where the camera is controlling you, you know, telling you to recompose and you to reframe. And that, that, that does seem pretty hellish to me. Uh, Now, the first thing is, as long as we have a free market, that will never happen. Because any camera manufacturer who makes a camera so obnoxious will simply lose all of their business. So as long as cameras are made on a free market, that particular dystopian future is an impossibility because of free market economics. And that's just hope to goodness we keep in a healthy market. Um, But setting that aside, the question then becomes, are there times when that kind of approach would not be dystopian, would actually be genuinely useful? And the answer to that is actually, well, yes. But again, it comes down to what it is that you're teaching the AI to do. And I believe this already exists in some camera models, but it would be really nice if you could have a feature that you could enable and disable at your command on your camera. So again, what you want is the AI to be doing your bidding, not for you to be doing the AI's bidding. And if it ever ends up in a case where the camera's telling me what to do, I'm buying another camera. So again, the free market should take care of that kind of nonsense. But you really, really, really don't want the AI controlling you. You want you controlling the AI. So how could it be useful to have an AI at your disposal that when you press the shutter and you have put the camera in a specific mode, that it doesn't take the picture until the AI is happy about something? What could it be happy about? Well, we have face detection. That is a thing, right? You will have cameras that will mark all the faces out as you're focusing. The iPhone does that, for example. So it would be nice if there were a mode you could enable and disable at your leisure, where at the moment you press your shutter, you would tell the camera, I now want a photograph, but I want you to take it the moment every face is looking the right way, no one has their eyes closed, and no one has, you know, no one's pulling a silly face. And so you press the shutter to tell the camera, now-ish, and the camera is then using artificial intelligence to, to turn the ish into an instant where all of you in the group are looking halfway decent. So you end up with family photos that look nice, right? I have composed the grouping of people. I have arranged the background. I have chosen the camera settings. I have done all the creative work. And now what I want is for some help from the computer to get the time exactly right so that everyone looks grand. And the other approach to that is simply put it on rapid fire and then manually afterwards pick the frame where everything's okay. But I would actually quite like to have the choice to hand that kind of ability over to the camera, to give the camera a responsibility at my discretion. And so as long as AI is used as a tool under my control, I'm not frightened by it at all. But if at any point I end up becoming a slave to the AI, that would worry me. And also, I don't think AI is good or bad. AI will rise or fall or, you know, perform well or perform badly entirely based on the metric that it's trying to maximize. Our, you know, machine learning algorithms will maximize 
something, if you are telling them to maximize the wrong thing, then you will have bad machine learning. So choosing what it is that the algorithm should maximize is vital. And as long as those choices are made in such a way that they don't cause me any ethical quandaries, I'm perfectly happy. Um, So it's like with any technology, right? Chainsaws make it possible for us to you know to to manage woodlands responsibly responsibly and build buildings out of a very sustainable material or to murder people artificial intelligence is potentially a fantastic tool to enable enhance a photographer's creativity or a tool to completely wipe it out it really does come down to how it's used so ai machine learning is amoral as in, it is not moral. It is not morally good or morally evil. It is, it has no morals. It is amoral, in my opinion. And I'm just interested in how the technology is used. And I will comment on individual uses and say, I really don't like this use of machine learning. Or, wow, what a great use of machine learning. But it's a case-by-case sort of a thing. And that goes for an awful, awful lot of modern technology because face recognition can be used to take better pictures or as an instrument of the police state. I am in favour of one, quite against the other. So anyway, that's that's sort of my thoughts on listening to that episode uh, from Antonio. I'm Basically, I'm not as, as, as uh, worried as I got the impression that Antonio was. So anyway, just a reminder that this... Well, actually, okay, a couple of things. So first off, if you have any comments, I kind of like this as an idea of starting a conversation. So you can reply on the blog, you can reply on the Google Plus group, you can send me an email, podcasting at bartofficer.net. You know, if I've triggered some thoughts in your head, you know, do please share. Uh, I want to thank, then, the two podcasts that got me thinking and made the basis of this show. So Shorter Time with Sid and Mac over at shortertimewithsidandmac.com. And both Sid and Mac have been on the show, in fact, together just a few episodes ago. Great people, great crack, um, and a very thought-provoking podcast. And very much of the same ilk as this show. It's about the art of arting, not about, you know, ooh, do I get this particular lens or that particular lens? They're not, it's not a gear show. It's it, it's a, the art and craft of photography, and that's why I like it. And also, of course, Switch to Manual from Antonio, um, because, again, Antonio is about the art art and craft of photography not about the technical minutia and or the gear minutia and i appreciate that which is why i enjoy both of those shows very much and they they you know as soon as an episode comes out it gets listened to okay i'm going to stop rambling on this is a first for me i think this is an entire podcast recorded beginning to end in one take i really hope it's a good take um you can, well, there's not really much point in going to find show notes. The show notes will basically say Bart shared his thoughts on these three episodes. And there will be links to the three episodes. So I guess the show notes will have some value, but not a lot of value. Um, but they will be at lets-talk.ie. And while you happen to be there, there are also large buttons there under the headline, support the show. And I very much appreciate everyone who ever has supported the show and would ask those of you who are in a position to do so without imposing pain upon yourselves, to consider doing so. Do not, under any circumstances, put yourself into any sort of financial difficulty to help my podcast.
that would be I would hate to think anyone would do that. That would be horrible. Uh, there are lots of ways, by the way, you can help that don't involve any money whatsoever. Tweet about the show. Tell your friends about the show. Review the show on your podcatcher of choice, iTunes, whatever it is you use. That is extremely helpful. Drop me an email with your thoughts. That's really helpful, you know. There's lots of ways you can support the show that are just, you know, doing. But there is the sort of reality that podcasting is not free. I mean, it's cheap, right? Compared to running my own radio station, it's dirt cheap. But it's not zero cost. So I do appreciate financial support. Uh, And without that financial support, the show simply wouldn't exist. And the two, at the moment, the two major mechanisms for that are one-off PayPal donations, which work well for amounts, let's say, above $5. Because at that point, the PayPal commissions don't become a complete waste. And for small dollar donations on a regular basis, that's what Patreon is great at. Um, They almost committed suicide and ruined their own best-selling feature back in December, but they saw sense just in time, and let's hope they continue to do so. And I'm currently investigating a complementary tool uh, to throw into the mix as well as Patreon for the simple reason that I don't like having all of my eggs in such a rickety basket. And I didn't think the basket was rickety until December, and now I'm very concerned about the basket. So there will be, this time next month, I expect to be telling you about a third alternative. Um, PayPal isn't going anywhere. Patreon isn't going anywhere. But I'm going to be adding something else to the list. There are also then some sort of affiliate style ways of helping out. So the first of those is we have a Zazzle store where you can buy branded merchandise and a commission of each purchase you get goes to me and you obviously end up with a thing, right? Whatever it is you choose, you end up with that particular thing. And then you, A, become sort of a walking, talking advertisement, and B, you have a thing. And I get a commission. I think I set my commission rate at 5% on those. Um, the other ways you can help are two other affiliate style links to Hover.com and DigitalOcean. Now, these are the kind of links that are only of use to a very, very, very small subset of listeners. Um, I get nothing if you just click on those links. I only get something if you use those links to actually buy something. So if you need a domain name, please consider using my Hover.com affiliate link because then I will get some credit for the domain, you know, for your purchase. If you need some virtual server space, consider using DigitalOcean. They happen to host less-talk.ie and just about, not quite all, but most of the other websites I'm involved with. I like them, they do good stuff, and if you use that link to sign up, you get some credit and I get some credit. Um, So we both get some money off our hosting, which is kind of nice. But again, unless you actually need hosting, don't bother clicking the link, it won't achieve anything. Um, So yes, so PayPal, Patreon, something else on the way, Zazzle Store, Hover.com affiliate link, and DigitalOcean affiliate link. Uh, I want to take a moment to give an extra special thanks to everyone who supported the show throughout the whole of 2017. Uh, Particularly in December, you guys got very generous. Um, I received a lot of one-off donations in December with messages like Happy Christmas and stuff. And thank you. Like, genuinely thank you. I wasn't expecting it. So it was a a surprise. And a very pleasant one. Um, You know, because Christmas is an expensive time of year. It it was really nice not to have to worry about 
you know, money for servers and things because there was just this generous donation. So, you know, not one. There were many of you gave very nice sort of, I don't know, end of year bonuses, Christmas presents, whatever you want to call them. But I really appreciate it is what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I think I've prattled on for long enough. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. 